Good evening, church. So good to see you this evening. As always, thank you for making time for Bible study in the middle of your week, whether you're here in person or you're watching online. I missed you last week. I so appreciate Scott for uh, taking my spot and, uh, and teaching his lesson. I haven't gotten a chance to go back and listen to his lesson, but I, I've heard that it was absolutely fantastic. So thank you to Scott Stewart for filling in for me last week. And again, thank you for uh, hanging with us throughout this series. I know that this series has been uh, challenging, difficult, uh, sensitive subject. And as I warned you two weeks ago, it's just going to get more sensitive as we go, more challenging and difficult as we go. It's uh, but the reason we're doing this on a Wednesday night is because uh, this is an adult Bible class and this is an adult subject. We're talking about sexuality, the Christian view of sexuality, but also contrasting that with the world's competing ideas about sexuality. And I keep wanting to go back to what we said a few weeks ago, that the Christian view of sexuality is not simply a set of rules. I think sometimes we, we think that that's what it is, that it's do's and do nots, and that's all that it is, but it's so much more than that. It's a unique understanding, primarily, of what the human body is, what the human body is for, what, that the body is defiled by sin, how the body is redeemed by God's love, how the body becomes a temple for God's spirit, how the body is to be used in God's service, and how the body will be raised to live forever. So if we're going to talk about human sexuality, if we're going to talk about Christian sexuality, if we're going to talk about what is the, the biblical view, the Christian view of sex and sexuality, then we have to realize that the Bible is pro-body. God is pro-human body. The body is incredibly important. That we are not we are not, contrary to sort of the, the dualism that has been popularized both in Greek philosophy and in modern thinking and in Gnostic thinking, we are not just a, a, a mind that happens to have a, a, a body that's, being, that's transporting our mind around. We're not just a spirit that just happens to have a body that is transporting our spirit around. We are body and mind and spirit. We are all of these things. When you talk about your body, it is not something separate from your real true self. You are a body. Your body is you. And God cares about your body. And God cares what you do with your body. When you became a Christian, your body was cleansed with water, wasn't it? When you became a Christian, you were baptized in water. It wasn't just an internal thing that was happening. Yes, Peter says it's not a removal of dirt from the flesh, but it is a, a cleansing, a pledge of our whole self to God, a surrender of our whole body, Romans chapter 12, our whole body to God as a living sacrifice. And then our bodies become a temple of God's Holy Spirit. And that is an amazing thought, isn't it? That that the temple of God is not a place in Jerusalem. The temple of God is not a building made with bricks and stones and mortar. The temple of God is your body. 
And that really is a redemption of what the human body was supposed to be in the first place, right? The human body was created to be an image of God, to image God. Not that our bodies look like God, but that our bodies are supposed to be a reflection of. Our whole self is supposed to be a reflection of God. When he created the human person, the whole human being, the whole human person, he made a human person to be his image bearer in the world. That includes our bodies. And so our bodies were meant to be something special, something sacred, something set apart, something different, different than the rest of creation. There's some wonderful things in creation, aren't there? The Grand Canyon and Niagara Falls, beautiful, wonderful mountains and oceans and beautiful things in the world. But the human body is the pinnacle of God's creation. And when you became a Christian, it was redeemed from sin. Your body was redeemed from sin. And, and of course, this body is still decaying and will will die and will be buried, but then this mortal body will be redeemed, will be redeemed, will be resurrected and transformed so that these bodies will live forever. Our new body will be transformed and live forever. The human body is at the very heart and the core of the biblical story, which is why when Paul is talking to the Corinthians, he he told them, you can't go around and use your body for sexual immorality. Your body belongs to the Lord. It is for the Lord. It is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So that's at the very heart of everything that we're talking about in this series. Now, tonight we're going to talk about pornography. And I would suggest that pornography promotes a false, a false and harmful narrative about what human bodies are and what they are for. The more I I studied and prepared for tonight's lesson just became incredibly discouraging and depressing. And so I, I almost hesitate to even invite us to think about this. But I know that you're probably as aware of the statistics as I am. And I know that statistically speaking, that people in this room and watching online have struggled with this in the past and or are struggling with this right now. And I think it's important for us to recognize that pornography and the narrative that is promoted by pornography is antithetical to the narrative promoted by the gospel. The gospel says human bodies are special That God loves human beings, their whole self, their mind, their spirit, their body. And that God wants to redeem them from sin. And that once redeemed from sin, their bodies become a temple of the Holy Spirit. Human bodies are, are special and important and significant and holy. But pornography promotes a narrative about the human body that objectifies the human body. That makes it merely an object that exists for the pleasure and entertainment of others. That's a very different narrative, isn't it? 
It is a different narrative to say the human body, what difference does it make? It's just, it's just something pleasurable to look at. It's something pleasurable to, to play with. It's something pleasurable to enjoy. It is merely existing for my pleasure or my entertainment or for someone else's pleasure or entertainment. That is a narrative that is not only false, if the gospel is true, and we believe that it is, right? We believe that the gospel is true, that we are not merely some evolved pond scum that, that happen to be lucky enough to crawl out of a pond millions and millions of years ago and, and suddenly become what we are now. We believe that we are created by God to be his image bearers in the world and that there is something special and sacred about humanity that humanity deserves to be loved and cherished and protected. The, the narrative promoted by pornography is something very different than that, and it dehumanizes. It dehumanizes. Anytime we objectify someone and we treat them as if they're just an object, that their body is just an object that exists for someone else's pleasure or entertainment, it is dehumanizing. It makes them less human in our eyes and perhaps even in their own eyes. Pornography is antithetical to the gospel. But not only is it a false narrative, it's also a harmful narrative. Now, before we even get to the scriptures, and I promise you we'll get there tonight, but before we get there, I want to just explore for a minute why pornography is harmful. And I want to start with this. Number one, pornography harms its performers. And I know that may seem like a strange place to start, because maybe you would think, well, let's start with how it, how it harms its consumers, and we'll get to that. But I think that our love for our neighbor has to help us to recognize that the people who are performing in pornography, it is harming them. In fact, there's a lot of evidence that, there, that so much of the pornography industry is associated with or tied to or related to human trafficking, sex trafficking. In fact, here are four ways that from the, the website, and I would encourage you, fightthenewdrug.org is a very interesting website. Modern sex trafficking shares a variety of symbiotic connections to pornography. Number one, sex trafficking victims can be forced, tricked, or coerced into pornography production. The stories... I wish I didn't have to read any of those or relate these to you about how women especially, but even young men, young men, it doesn't matter the age, but people have been tricked or forced or coerced into participating in pornography. And the people that are viewing it or watching it do not realize or recognize that these people, some of them have been actually kidnapped and trafficked. Others have just been tricked. Some people thought that they were going to uh, be models in, in a modeling campaign, and then they were forced to actually participate in pornography production. And the people that are consuming it and watching it have no idea what's happening on the other side. And they don't realize that they are participating in, the consumers are participating in human trafficking. 
Number two, porn performers can be tricked into acts that they didn't consent to. Number three, porn can be used to groom trafficking victims and train them on what is expected of them. The stories of that were countless. Number four, porn can normalize sexual violence and objectification to the extent that in some cases, the desensitization of consumers can manifest in more willingness to buy sex, thus increasing the demand for sexual exploitation and sex trafficking. Do we see how one thing can lead to another? It doesn't mean that everyone who watches pornography will end up sleeping with a prostitute that has been trafficked. But but that very well can happen. And the abuse and the manipulation and the coercion and the forcing and the violence that these people are enduring. We talk about slavery as if that was just a thing in the past. But slavery is a thing in the present. People are being trafficked in all kinds of ways. Sometimes, like the movie Taken, where people are kidnapped and taken somewhere else, but sometimes just ways that young people run away from home and they're, they're tricked into, manipulated into situations they didn't desire to be in and they don't know how to get out. But even if, even if someone is fully consenting to everything that they're doing on screen or on camera, it is still, it is still harmful to everyone that is participating in it. It's harmful to everyone who is performing, everyone who is producing. Sex is a huge industry in our culture. And it hurts not only the people that are viewing it, but the people that are caught up in it and are slaves to it and don't know how to get out. Some don't even know that they are slaves to it. So I just want you to stop and consider that if if you are consuming pornography, then you are participating. You are participating in the harm of others. You may not realize you are. You may not know that you are. You may not be thinking that way, but this is not only harming you, it is harming everyone who is participating in it. Number two, pornography harms its consumers. It harms the people who view it. It was an interesting study. Uh, A guy named Nicholas Tinbergen uh, did a study on butterflies, and he coined the phrase supernormal stimulus. Supernormal stimulus. So... There's stimulus that's normal, right? And in this case, butterflies that were attracted to the colors and the movements of the wings of their mates. So male butterflies that were attracted to the colors and the movements of female butterflies. And Tinbergen noticed this, and he built fake butterflies that mimicked the movements and the colors of the female butterflies, but he increased the colors. He made them even more colorful, made their movement even more regular. Well, the male butterflies were not only attracted to the fake butterflies, they actually preferred them and stopped mating with the female butterflies. It changed them so that they preferred the supernormal stimulus over the normal stimulus. And there's a a lot of research that says that's what pornography is doing to people's brains. 
where you're actually preferring the fake over the real, where you're preferring the fantasy over the reality. This from Psychology Today says, studies have shown that pornography use may miswire reward circuits causing sexual dysfunction and reinforcing dependence on porn. There's a lot of research around the fact that pornography changes the way that people think. It changes you. It harms you. Reward, when, when something that you do is enjoyable or something that you see is enjoyable, it reinforces that thing. And, and human beings have a natural stimulus towards reproduction. We have a natural stimulus towards sexuality, to sexual encounters. But pornography is a supernormal stimulus. It's fake. It's not real. And it is warping the way that we think by miswiring the reward circuits in our brain. C.S. Lewis, even besides the, the, the neural research, speaks about this idea so long ago. Here's what he said, and, and I, I apologize for the graphic nature of this discussion, but he said, for me, the real evil of masturbation would be that it takes an appetite which, in lawful use, leads the individual out of himself to complete and correct his own personality in that of another, and then finally in children and even in grandchildren, and turns that appetite back on itself, sends the man back into the prison of himself there to keep a harem of imaginary brides. You see what he's saying? Go back to that first slide for just a second. Let's kind of stay there for a second. He's saying that there is a, there is a, a natural appetite that when, when engaged in rightfully, it actually leads us out of ourselves. It causes us to be less self-absorbed, right? Our sexual attraction leads us naturally to be less self-absorbed. Because in order to marry someone, you have to change. And hopefully you have to get better. You have to be less selfish. You have to be less self-absorbed. So sexuality should lead us out of ourselves. But fantasy that happens on the inside, Self-gratification, it actually brings us back into ourselves so that we are lost in a prison of ourselves into what he calls a harem of imaginary brides. He goes on, and this harem, once admitted, works against his ever getting out and really uniting with a real woman. For the harem is always accessible, always subservient, calls for no sacrifices or adjustments, and can be endowed with erotic and psychological attractions which no real woman can rival. Among those shadowy brides, he is always adored, always the perfect lover. No demand is made on his unselfishness, no mortification ever imposed on his vanity. In the end, they become merely the medium through which he increasingly adores himself. Do we see? This is what things like pornography do. Instead of sexuality leading us out of ourselves, where we have to become less selfish, less self-absorbed, more generous, more loving, more like Jesus, hopefully, pornography 
brings us back into ourselves, where we become a prisoner in our own imaginations, indulging ourselves. In fact, he says, the danger is that of coming to love the prison. The danger is coming to love this prison where, in which we have this harem of imaginary brides. In fact, one popular musician was talking about his fascination with pornography. And he was saying, there have probably been days when I saw 300 naked women before I got out of bed. He said, internet pornography has absolutely changed my generation's expectations. How does that not affect the psychology of having a relationship with somebody? It's got to. He says, this is my problem now. Rather than meet somebody new, I would rather go home and replay the amazing experiences I've already have. What that explains is that, listen to this, I'm more comfortable in my imagination than I am in actual human discovery. And what John Mayer was saying anecdotally, research is saying that's exactly what happens. That we prefer the fantasy over the reality. Why? Because the fantasy makes no demands on us. You don't have to become less selfish. You don't have to become more loving. You don't have to become more generous. You don't have to become more honest. You don't have to become a better person in order to have a fantasy about someone. And so we take these indulgences into our hearts and minds and we begin to, as C.S. Lewis says, begin to love the prison. In fact, I heard a story not too long ago about a real person, 14th century Duke, Reynold III. Reynold was nicknamed Reynold the Fat. And Reynold had a feud with his brother, and his brother Edward won the quarrel and imprisoned Reynold in a room that he had specially built for Reynold the Fat. He built this room around him with a door that was just a little too small for Reynold to leave. And he said, you can leave anytime you want. And he would tell people, he's not in prison, he can leave anytime he wants. But he would send him delicious food every day. And he would eat, and he would eat, and he would eat. Never making the sacrifices necessary to leave the room, to leave the imprisonment. Pornography traps its users in a prison of self-indulgence. And we come to love the prison. Number three, pornography harms marriages. Obviously, if all of these things that we've been saying are true, it, it has to harm our, our real-life relationships, whether that's the marriage that a person is already in or even a potential marriage. Pornography can harm marriages. Jonathan Grant, in his book, Divine Sex, says this, sexual fantasy generates a destructive loop by shaping our expectations for real-life relationships while also displacing those relationships. Do we see how that works? That pornography shapes our expectations and they're unrealistic expectations because we're watching fantasy and we're developing fantasies in our mind and our heart. And then that shapes our expectations for real life relationships. And guess what? They're not going to be that because that's real. And real relationships are hard and challenging and difficult and messy. And they require you to become a better person, to become more honest, to become more generous, to become less selfish. 
Real life relationships are with real people and they're not what you see in pornography. So it shapes our unrealistic expectation and then it displaces these real life relationships because after a while you get to the point where you prefer the supernormal stimulus. You prefer the fantasy over the reality. You prefer the prison over the freedom. Number four, pornography harms society. I didn't want to get into a lot of statistics, but this is interesting, that porn sites receive more web traffic in the U.S., more web traffic than Twitter, Instagram, Netflix, Pinterest, and LinkedIn combined. Combined. If we think that this isn't having an effect on our society, we're turning a blind eye to it. Norman Deutsch in his book said this, 30 years ago, what was called hardcore pornography usually meant the explicit depiction of sexual intercourse. Now, hardcore has evolved and is increasingly dominated by the sadomasochistic themes involving scripts fusing sex with hatred and humiliation. In fact, according to studies analyzing the content of popular porn videos, it's estimated that as few as one in three and as many as nine in ten scenes show acts of physical aggression or violence, while about half contain verbal aggression. Pornography changes the way we see people. Pornography changes the way we treat people. We cannot, we cannot live under the illusion that we can have sort of our fantasies over here and that our fantasies won't affect our real life relationships. They will and they do. And even if you don't consume pornography, someone else consuming pornography is likely already affecting their relationship with you. We cannot see people as objects that exist for our own pleasure and entertainment. We cannot see scenes that continually depict violence and dehumanizing behavior. We cannot participate in a, an industry that traffics in human beings and treats them as commodities and it not affect the way we treat people and the way we think about people and the way we even talk to people. Pornography is not only false, it's a harmful narrative that changes the way we see and treat people. But listen, listen especially to the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 5 starting at verse 27, Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This idea of the fantasy world of our heart and mind, it's nothing new. Now, don't get me wrong, the internet has found new ways to tap into that fantasy world. But that fantasy world has always existed. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You self-righteous hypocrites that think you can draw the line at adultery and say, well, listen, I, I've, I've never touched a woman who's not my wife. 
I, I've never slept with a woman who's not my wife. That's the line, and I've never crossed over it. Jesus said, you crossed over it a long time ago. Because when you look at a woman with lustful intent, when you look at a woman to fantasize about an, an affair with her, adultery with her in your heart, that's when you've already committed it. It's the, it's the act that you're committing in your heart. It's how you're looking at her. Instead of looking at her like your sister, instead of looking at her like your neighbor, instead of looking at her like she's your neighbor's wife, you're looking at her like she's an object and you're fantasizing about what you want to do with her and you have already sinned with her in your heart. He goes on, it gets even harder. He says, verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now, I don't think that Jesus is literally talking about cutting off pieces of our body, but listen to what he is saying. Notice what he says. What is it that causes you to sin? It's not your neighbor's body. It's your eyes. It's your hands. You have to take responsibility. We have to take responsibility for our eyes, for our hands, for our thoughts, for our mind, for our heart. We cannot blame other people. Yes, our culture, yes, the porn industry, yes, what people wear, yes, whatever, but our sin is our responsibility. We have to take responsibility. You have to take responsibility for what you're looking at and what you're thinking about and what you're fantasizing about. And if you're fantasizing about someone else's body that is not your spouse, then you are committing adultery with them in your heart. And you have to take responsibility and you have to discipline yourself. And the bad news is we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Amen? Amen? The bad news is we've all sinned. The good news is that in Jesus there is forgiveness, but not only forgiveness, but transformation. Transformation. Just as our mind and our heart can be warped and corrupted in a bad way, our mind and heart can also be transformed in a good way to be reoriented around the love of God through Jesus, and in the Spirit of God. That's the good news. So this idea that we have that, well, this is just me, this is just men, this is just how I am, this is just the way that I was made, this is just whatever, whatever excuse, Jesus has no more excuses. It's time for forgiveness, but it's also time for change. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. This is a passage that came to my mind because we've been talking about it a lot on Sunday mornings, but we're talking right now about reflect and renew, and, and this just goes along so well with that. Ephesians 4 and verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, that, that obviously includes a lot of things, but pornography would certainly be part of that, wouldn't it? This idea of sensuality and greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And Paul says, you can't, you can't live that way anymore. 
The things that you're doing in your heart and mind now have to be devoted to the Lord. Verse 20, but that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be, here's our word, renewed, renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Jesus offers us both forgiveness and transformation. It's one thing to say, oh, I did it again. I messed up. I'm sorry, Lord. Please forgive me. And he is gracious and merciful and forgiving. But he doesn't want us to keep going back to it because it's harmful for you, for your marriage, for society, for the people that are caught up in producing it. It is harmful for everyone. It is harming even the people that don't know about your secret. It is harming so many people. And for us to continue in it is not to truly embrace what Jesus is offering us. He's offering us freedom to stop being trapped in the prison of our own self-indulgence, to stop and to come out and to be free and to be different. doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but it does mean that you can be transformed. I mean, listen to one of the things that he says, and I know this isn't going to seem to fit, but stay with me for a second. Verse 28, he says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, that's one of the things that Paul says, this is what needs to change. This is the kind of thing that needs to change. And obviously he's talking about thieves, like actual thieves that have been stealing things and they need to stop. And not just stop, but work. Work hard so that you can share with others, so that you become generous. What is stealing? Why do, why do we steal? Why do people steal? Why do we take things that doesn't, don't belong to us? It's because it's, it's easier sometimes. Or we feel like it's easier. It's easier than working. It's just right there. You just take it. You just have it. I don't have to work for it. I just take it. We steal because we're selfish. We're self-indulgent. We're lazy. And Jesus wants to transform us. Not just to forgive us. The thief can be forgiven. But, but he also needs to stop being a thief. Stop being lazy. Stop being selfish. Stop indulging his appetites by taking things that don't belong to him. And pornography is a form of theft. In fact, we could say it this way. Pornography facilitates the selfish and lazy theft of a neighbor's body into the dark recesses of the heart. Doesn't it? That's what we're doing. We're stealing someone else's body and putting it away in a dark, corrupt part of our own heart. A body that doesn't belong to us. That body doesn't belong to you. And and whether we're talking about pornography, like watching videos online or looking at magazines, or just driving down McDermott Road and seeing someone jogging and taking their body and stealing it and hiding it away in your heart, it's theft. It's lazy. It's lazy. God, God gave us a way for us to have a sexual relationship with another person, but it requires selflessness requires hard work and sacrifice. It requires marriage and covenant. It requires us to make vows to one another and to keep those vows. That's the hard work. 
not the laziness of taking someone else's body and hiding it away in our heart. Pornography facilitates the selfish and lazy theft of a neighbor's body into the dark recesses of the heart, but thankfully, Jesus offers to forgive the theft and transform the thief into someone who is honest, self-sacrificing, generous, and hardworking, which are necessary traits for any real relationship, aren't they? That's what we ought to desire, for us to be transformed, not just forgiven. Yes, yes, hear me. If you have a problem with pornography, confess your sins one to another. Find someone to talk about this with, whether it's a counselor or an elder or a minister or a brother or a sister. Hold each other accountable. Confess your sins. Pray for one another. God is merciful and forgiving. But work towards transformation. The Spirit of God wants to transform you into someone who is hardworking and self-sacrificing and honest that can engage in real-life relationships that are difficult and messy and challenging. And for us to stop being lazy and stealing the bodies that don't belong to us. Let's pray. Father God, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us, for we have sinned and fallen short of your glory. We need your forgiveness. But Father, we also need the transforming power of your Holy Spirit. Help us, Father, to draw these these dark secrets that are in our heart out into the light and confess them to each other and hold each other accountable and be honest and be repentant. And Father, we ask that your spirit move into those recesses of our heart and change us and transform us. Father, we ask for forgiveness and we ask for renewal. Father, I know that there are many who can hear your word, that hear the words of Jesus saying that if we lust after a woman, we've already committed adultery with her in our heart. I know that there are those who hear those words and are convicted. Help us, Father, to move beyond mere conviction and move towards reconciliation with you, forgiveness and transformation. Father, I know that you offer all of those things. Help us, Father, to have the courage to take hold of Jesus and to take hold of your Holy Spirit and to be filled with him, and to walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.